Good morning, basketball fans. Welcome to this week's edition of the Small College Basketball Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Cottrell. With more than 10 years of NCAA Division I and Division II men's basketball coaching experience, with relationships in college basketball across the nation and across all levels. Every week I work to bring you the only podcast with news, scores, highlights, and insight from men's basketball at the NCAA Division II, NCAA Division III, NAIA, NCCAA, and the USCAA levels. Combined, these levels of college basketball beyond Division I account for nearly 1,200 small colleges and universities across the country. We are here to celebrate their basketball programs, players, coaches, and history together. The Small College Basketball Podcast is a production of smallcollegebasketball.com and founder John McCarthy on a mission to unite all people with a passion for small college basketball. Welcome back, small college basketball fans. Thank you for keeping up with us and following along all season. It's been quite a ride. If you're enjoying the Small College Basketball Podcast, please be sure to like and subscribe and leave a comment below. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite sports podcasts. If you're listening with Apple Podcasts, please leave a five-star review if you're enjoying the Small College Basketball Podcast. Later in today's episode, you will hear an interview and breakdown of the NCAA Division III Men's Basketball Final Four from D3Hoops.com Managing Editor Pat Coleman. But first, let's recap the small college basketball tournaments so far. The Small College Basketball Podcast is excited to announce and to recognize our first national champion of 2022. Last week, Paul Quinn captured the USCAA National Championship on Thursday night at Virginia State University. The first national champion of the small college basketball season, Paul Quinn defeated Bryant and Stratton of Buffalo 80-69. Paul Quinn was led by Jamari Reedus with 18 points. Henry Hampton had 17 points. Spencer McElroy had 12 points. Off the bench, Jamiri Reedus had 12 points, and guard Stephen Tynes kicked out nine assists. Bryant and Stratton got a double-double from Kalon Kimball, 15 points and 12 rebounds in their runner-up effort. Congratulations to Paul Quinn, the 2022 USCAA National Champions. Over the weekend, the National Christian Collegiate Athletic Association was also busy crowning their Division II National Tournament champion at Ozark Christian College in Missouri. The NCCAA Division II National Champion, Campbellsville University of Harrodsburg, who defeated Crown College. Campbellsville University Harrodsburg entered the tournament as the number two seed. They earned an 89-79 victory for their first-ever men's basketball national championship. Antoine Darby led Campbellsville with 26 points, 8 rebounds. Chris Rollins had 17 points and 5 rebounds. Tyron Duncan added 14 points. Taryn McDaniels had 11 points off the bench. Congratulations to Campbellsville Harrodsburg on their NCCAA Division II national championship. The NCCAA Division I National Tournament Championships for men's basketball tips off on Wednesday, hosted by Grace College. This is the NCCAA Elite Eight. 
Matchups beginning on Wednesday include the number one seed, Alice Lloyd, versus Hannibal LeGrant. The number two seed, Lancaster Bible, takes on number seven, Asbury. Number three, Carolina, takes on number six, Ecclesia. And the number four seed, Baptist Bible, takes on number five, Southwestern Christian. So look for scores coming up from the NCCAA Division I National Tournament later in the week. Quarterfinals, Wednesday, March 15th. Semifinals, the Final Four will play on Thursday. And then Saturday afternoon, the NCCAA will crown their Division I National Champion. And before we welcome Pat Coleman to the podcast, let's recap what happened in a very busy weekend in each region of the NCAA Division II Men's Basketball Tournament. Tuesday night, the day the podcast is released, is the Sweet 16 for NCAA Division II, a trip to the Elite Eight on the line. So let's recap the Atlantic region. Big upset to open the tournament. West Virginia State took down the number two team in the country, West Liberty, in the opening round. Lots of people thought we would see number one, number two in this region. But we're going to see number one, Indiana University, Pennsylvania, who was challenged in their first two rounds but advanced, defeating Fayetteville State and Mercyhurst. We're going to see them face California University of Pennsylvania in the Sweet 16. Cal defeated Fairmont State and West Virginia State to advance to the regional final. This is a number one, number three matchup out of the East, of the Atlantic region. I'm sorry, number one, number three seeds out of the Atlantic region. These two teams know each other very well. Cal University, IUP both play in the PSAC, the PSAC. This season, IUP defeated Cal three times, twice in the regular season, once in the conference tournament. This will be their fourth matchup. Look for Armani Foster and Ethan Porterfield of Indiana to be the keys for the Crimson Hawks. For Cal PA, Brent Pegram, Philip Alston both need to have big games. I like home court advantage for IUP in this matchup. I think Armani Foster and Indiana University of Pennsylvania's depth is too much to handle. In the central region, we also get a number one and a number three seed squaring off in the regional final for a trip to the NCAA Division II Elite Eight. This is a top 10 matchup, and as I predicted in last week's episode, this region goes through Trevor Hudgens and Northwest Missouri State. The number three seed, Northwest Missouri State, defeated MSU Moorhead. They also defeated the number seven seed, Washburn, who I had predicted to advance. Uh, I really liked some of these seven seeds. Just really good teams throughout NCAA Division II. The guy leading Northwest Missouri State right now is Diego Bernard. He's played really well in the postseason. The backcourt combination of Bernard and Trevor Hudgens, along with an improving Isaiah Jackson, you know, has definitely been an elite combination throughout the season in the backcourt. Forward West Dreamer brings a perimeter and interior game that makes matchups really challenging. And by the way, Hudgens and Bernard combined are undefeated in NCAA tournament play. But the number one seed in the central region, Augustana, they're the number one seed for a reason. They defeated Southwestern Oklahoma and Upper Iowa to advance to the Sweet 16 behind the play of Tyler Ramirezma, who had a double-double, 17 points, 13 rebounds on Sunday. He opened the tournament with a double-double, 28 points, 10 rebounds. 
Isaac Fink has made 10 three-pointers in his last two games. I think this could be one of the best games in the Sweet 16. We've talked about how important guard play is in March. And how about Trevor Hudgens versus Tyler Remiersma and then Diego Bernard versus Isaac Fink. But great matchups in the backcourt. But I think the Central Region still goes through Northwest Missouri State. In the East region, the bottom half of your left-hand side of the bracket, number seven, St. Thomas Aquinas and Coach Tobin Anderson rattled off six straight wins, including their East Coast Conference Tournament Championship and a come-from-behind victory in the round of 32 over New Haven to advance to the NCAA East region final on Tuesday night. Stack will take on top-seeded and 14th-ranked Bentley, the host school, at 7 p.m., St. Thomas Aquinas trailed New Haven by 14 points in the second half on Sunday afternoon, but they got 17 points in the second half from lead guard Grant Singleton. He would finish with 20. Stack also got 14 points from Dimitri Roberts, 17 points from Osbel Caraballo to secure the victory. But Bentley is rolling. Bentley is steamrolling into the East Regional. They have won six straight. They defeated Pace University in overtime on Sunday, 96-84. Bentley is led by Zach Laput, who had a double-double on Sunday in overtime, 26 points, 13 rebounds. He had his own 8-0 run late in the first half. Free throw, layup, and a three from the right-hand side. So Laput is a guy who can make Bentley go. Look for guards Colton Lawrence, Jordan Mello-Klein and Mason Webb to bear a heavy burden against the full-court pressure of St. Thomas Aquinas. But we've seen in the past, this is the recipe for defeating Stack, veteran guards who can take care of the basketball and make plays in the open court. You know, you look at the guard-heavy rotation of Bentley, that's a perfect recipe going up against Stack. This game, I think, comes down to who gets better shots and who can convert in the paint. The, the experience of Stack in the NCAA tournament against the home court advantage of Bentley, interesting to see how that plays out, but I like experience in the end. On the other side of the bracket, we saw some upsets. Starting in the South region, another seven seed that we mentioned previously, Alabama Huntsville defeated the number two seed, Barry. But Alabama Huntsville could not get by Embry-Riddle, who is rolling right now with elite guard Romeo Crouch in the backcourt. Embry-Riddle is the three seed. They have advanced to the regional final and will square off against number one in that region, number one in the country, and unbeaten Nova Southeastern. Nova Southeastern is undefeated. They're 30-0, but by the skin of their teeth, they advanced on Sunday after a furious second-half comeback with a buzzer beater from freshman Kobe Rogers. They defeated Union College 81-80 at the buzzer. Nova was led by RJ Sinahara with 24 points. Nick Smith had 21 points. Siku Silia had a double-double, 13 points, 11 rebounds. Embry-Riddle advanced with a little more ease against West Alabama and Alabama-Huntsville winning both games by more than 10 points. Embry-Riddle finished second in the Sunshine State Conference to Nova Southeastern. These two teams know each other really well. Nova, of course, won both regular season matchups, first by 22 points and the second matchup by nine. But the Embry-Riddle team is playing really well right now. They're averaging more than 80 points per game in their last eight games. 
Romeo Crouch is averaging 24 points per game. He's the real deal. Had the chance to watch him in St. Joseph, Missouri at the small college basketball Hall of Fame Classic. He's a talented guard, changes speed, changes direction. He's got shooters around him. Elijah Jenkins, Malcolm Whitlow can flat out shoot the ball. So, you know, Embry-Riddle has a three-headed scoring monster in the backcourt. It'll be interesting to see how they match up with the elite backcourt of Nova Southeastern. Guards Nick Smith, Seiko Saleo, and wing RJ Sinehara are a three-headed scoring monster for Nova Southeastern. This one-versus-three matchup, I think, goes to the host school and the best team in the country to date. But I think Embry-Riddle puts up a really good fight. Hard to beat a team three times in a year. If you want a heavyweight matchup, look no further than the Southeast region. This is a blue blood battle between two top five teams in the country. Yes, number four in the country, Queens, defeated Lincoln Memorial on Sunday night, and they will take on the host school, the top seed, and the fifth-ranked team in the country, Augusta, in the regional final. This will be a really interesting matchup. Two programs with a rich Division II basketball history. The Southeast region was one of the more challenging regions we discussed. So to get the number one and the number, you know, the number, the two top five teams to come out of that, you know, we're we're really excited to see this matchup. It's a heavyweight battle, and it's really going to come down to the guard play of Kenny Dye for Queens going against the interior presence of Tyjon Crawford from Augusta. Die is averaging 14 points per game, shooting 48% from the three-point line. He is the all-time assist leader in the history of Queens University basketball. Tyshawn Crawford, seven foot one. He averages 18 points per game. He's grabbing nine rebounds per game. And this is just like one matchup because Augusta has some great guards of their own. Miguel Arnold shooting 48% from three. Troy Cracknell averaging 13 points per game. Augusta has five guys averaging 10 points per game. So for Queens, forward Jamari Smith, 17 points per game, seven rebounds per game. Can he face up and pull Crawford away from the basket? Big guards for Queens, A.J. McKee, Jaden Turner, Quan McCauley have all played big roles and expanding roles throughout the postseason. Can they all put it together on Tuesday night? You know, Queens has won 17 straight. Augusta has won 16 straight. This is a a big, you know, blue blood battle to go to the Elite Eight. I'm interested to see how Queens can neutralize Tyshawn Crawford. And can Augusta keep Kenny Dye out of the paint? Because that's where Queens is really dangerous. Kenny Dye creating for himself, creating for others. I'm inclined to go with the host school here but would not be surprised at all to see Queens advance. I think Queens and Coach Bart Lundy, this team seems to have a certain grit to them. And in the South region, Colorado Mesa, the fourth seed, will take on Black Hill State, the three seed. Mesa defeated number one Lubbock Christian, 63-62. Black Hill State defeated West Texas A&M, the number two seed, convincingly, 91-77. Colorado Mesa was led by Trevor Baskin, 18 points, including the go-ahead alley-oop late in the game. Mesa put three players into double figures, led by Baskin's 18 points. Jared Small had 15 points, and Blee's Threat had a double-double, 13 points, 10 rebounds. Lubbock Christian heading into uh, heading into the matchup, top-ranked team in the country, led by 12 points 
in the second half, but could not hang on. Mesa secured their first ever Sweet 16 victory and Sweet 16 berth. On the bottom half of that region, Black Hill State led by seven at halftime over West Texas A&M, and they never looked back. Joel Scott had a double-double, 20 points, 14 rebounds, to go along with Sindhu Sissi and Savadukic, who both scored 20 points for Black Hill State. Black Hill State would shoot 61% from the field on their way to the school's first-ever Sweet 16 appearance. So you've got Black Hill State, you've got Colorado Mesa, both appearing in the Sweet 16 for their first time in school history. They know each other well. In the regular season, in the Rocky Mountain Athletic Conference, the team split the road team winning both contests. First game went into overtime. Black Hill State winning on the road 75-73 in December. Joel Scott, big game, double-double, 27 points, 14 rebounds. In the second meeting, Colorado Mesa came from behind to win by 10, 81-71. Mesa got 33 points from Trevor Baskin. So who wins the third battle at a neutral location? Who knows? But you know it's going to come down to the play of Joel Scott, for Black Hill State, the play of Trevor Baskin from Colorado Mesa, and then who puts it all together. I think these teams are really evenly matched. This game comes down to experience and bench play. Watching Colorado Mesa over the last few seasons, they've been in and out of the top 25, building towards this moment. And that's not to say that Black Hill State has not been playing well, and they're not trending in the right direction to win a big game. But I think experience and depth at this time of year really matter. And for those of you scoring at home, the bracket breakdowns have left out two regions, the Midwest region, the West region. Those NCAA Division II Elite Eight bids were sealed late Monday night in a matchup between the University of Missouri-St. Louis, the five seed, and the third-seeded Hillsdale. The first bid to the NCAA Division II Elite Eight went to Hillsdale University out of the Midwest region. Hillsdale defeated Missouri-St. Louis 73-63 with four players in double figures on Monday night, led by Patrick Cartier's 23 points. Kyle Gessler had 16 points, Jack Golke had 15 points, and Joe Reuter had 12 points. Hillsdale was the first school to punch their ticket to Evansville, Indiana. Later on Monday night, the second ticket punched to the Division II Elite Eight, was Chico State, who defeated Alaska Fairbanks 70-52 in the West Region Championship game. Malik Duffy had 21 points with five made three-pointers to lead Chico State, along with Colby Orr and Kevin Warren, who both chipped in 12 points. Congratulations to these first two bids to the NCAA Division II Men's Basketball Elite Eight. And let's now shift our attention to NCAA Division III Men's Basketball, the Final Four, and our preview of those games with Mr. Pat Coleman. Ladies and gentlemen, basketball fans across the country, the NCAA Division III Men's Basketball Final Four is now set. Congratulations go out to Elmhurst, Wabash, Marietta, and Randolph-Macon on advancing to the NCAA Men's Basketball Division III Final Four. March 18th, Friday evening, the two semifinal games will be played, 5 p.m. Number one in the country, Randolph-Macon takes on number two in the country, Marietta. At 7.30 p.m., the number 16th ranked team in the country, Elmhurst, will take on 15th ranked Wabash. To break down each of those four teams and the two matchups, please welcome the managing editor of D3Hoops.com, 
Mr. Pat Coleman. Pat, thank you for your time today. John McCarthy and I are very appreciative of you joining the Small College Basketball Podcast. Absolutely, Chris. Hey, uh, glad to be back on. Thanks for uh, thanks for bringing me back. It's a great time of year, and you know, just to have a Final Four is awesome. And it looks like we're shaping up to have a really great one, so we're even more excited about that. Yeah, really incredible to have four top twenty teams in the Final Four, and. As we look at the path of each four of those teams, I want to get right into this. I want to ask you first, what team surprised you the most by advancing to the Final Four? Because when I looked at the brackets and then I looked at where we're at today, Wabash was my most surprising team. But I'd like to hear your opinion. Well, I think I would have to agree with you. And before we get too much further into us, and I I don't want to be pedantic about uh pronunciation but the wabash folks would be so i'm gonna go i'm gonna try to get to try to get you trained into wabash right now um but wabash you know going on the road twice is the only of team of the four uh that uh, had to you know go on the road for every game road or neutral site so they drove you know uh, kyle brummett who's the head coach at uh, wabash is very specific to say drove 587 miles to emory <laughs> and then you know a much shorter trip over to Bloomington, Illinois to take on Illinois Wesleyan, but, you know, a pretty good group in the, you know, having to face uh, Emory on the road, having to face Illinois Wesleyan on the road. Uh, Williams is a very storied program. Uh, Barry is a program that's had some success of late. So a, a very interesting road for the little giants. And they come into, you know, Fort Wayne, Indiana, a very relatively close about three hours uh, up the road with a, a 24 game winning streak and uh, looking very impressive right now absolutely their their road to the final four uh very challenging and when you look at the four teams that made it and as you look at each of these four teams you, we just talked about wabash and uh we're, we're getting into we're getting into you know now marietta randolph making elmhurst what what of what of those teams, what surprises you or stands out to you or makes each team unique in their journey to this Final Four? Well, I'll start with Wabash since we're already on the subject, and that's the team that I got to see in person this past weekend down at Illinois Wesleyan. Uh, Wabash kind of comes in uh, to the Division Three consciousness with a, a lot of people just understanding or thinking that this is like Jack Davidson's team. And Jack Davidson is a senior. He's a guard. He's scored more than 2,400 career points for the Little Giants. And, you know, that is what you expect. You hear that name and that's you expect it to be kind of like it was a couple years earlier. Uh, the Aston Francis show for, you know, for Wheaton College when they made the Final Four. The last time we had a Final Four, uh, Aston Francis was playing in it. Uh, but it is not just the Jack Davidson show. And it was shown that way this weekend, um, you know, in the Friday night uh, round of 16 game. Uh, he only scored 11 points. He had eight assists, uh, had a couple of steals, played, you know, almost all played all but 35 seconds of the game, made everybody around him better uh, when Williams was willing to sell out and do everything they could to keep him from shooting. He did a great job dumping it off. And guys like Amani Jones and Kellen Shriver and Tyler Watson came up big uh, when he was able to feed them. And then on Saturday night, kind of took the team on his back for a little bit. They had a big 11 to two run in the second half. And Davidson was a big part of that. Had a step back three, uh, got fouled in the act, shooting a three, uh, ended up uh, nine of nine from the line on the night. He drew seven fouls on Saturday. Uh, and, uh, you know, then, you know, got some of Illinois Wesleyan's best players and one of uh, the Titans best defenders 
uh, fouled out of the game. They are they are a team that has a lot of weapons. Uh, I mentioned Kellen Schreiber. I mentioned uh, Amani Jones. Amani Jones also their uh, the, their best defensive guy. Tyler Watson, a freshman named uh, Vinny Busula off the bench, had a great game on Saturday, and you know that's kind of a that's kind of your thumbnail sketch of Wabash. And do you think I just want to go through uh, one by one? Do you want to team me up, or you just want me to go monologue uh, off of each of these teams? Well, I do want to add that Jack Davidson, one of the players who was on the Bevo Francis watch list, yeah, uh, I mean, excellent scorer. He is top three in the country in scoring at the Division three level, and he leads the country in three-point field goal percentage, shooting 49% from behind the arc. So Jack Davidson, definitely a player to watch as we go into the Division three Final Four. And yeah, if you want to hit, um, if you want to hit on Elmhurst, Marietta, Randolph, Macon, I'm not going to stop you. <laughs> well, I want to be cognizant of the fact that it's your podcast and not just, uh, you know, not just steamroll because I could <laughs> definitely just go on for minutes and minutes and minutes talking about uh, talking about Division three basketball seemingly without taking a breath. Well, we can uh, we can start on the left side. Let's start on the left side of the bracket. You just um, you just talked about Wabash and Jack Davidson. Let's turn our attention to Elmhurst here for a moment. Elmer's really interesting tournament, uh, super tested with a, a bunch of, you know, second half comebacks. They had to uh, rally in the second half of all three of their uh, their final three games here in the tournament. Uh, you know, a barely avoided getting knocked out uh, in a what would, a would be buzzer beater uh, against Pomona Pitzer in the second round. I'm sorry, Pomona Pitzer in the previous game had the buzzer beater so I, i'm a little over speaking elmer's still survived promote a pitcher it's calvin that the you know luke morrison who'd had such a great tournament for calvin uh nearly uh knocked elmhurst out or put uh, elmhurst in overtime in the round of 16 and then of course the round of eight uh did go to overtime against mary harden baylor um watching the that game develop down the stretch and of course doing this on video stream while the illinois wesleyan wabash game is going on in front of me uh, the thing that really impressed me most about Elmhurst was there were you know, two times at the end of regulation and then at the end of overtime in which uh, Mary Harden Baylor had a shot uh, in overtime, a shot to win, or I'm sorry, in regulation, a shot to win in overtime, a, a shot to extend the game. And both times Elmhurst just completely disrupted what Mary Harden Baylor had going and, you know, and Mary Harden Baylor did not get a good look at the basket. Elmhurst yeah. kept Elmhurst kept. Mary Harden Baylor's big guy, Josiah Johnson, to three of 19 shooting um, that, you know, it's a, that's a kid who will be back. You know, he had some kind, sometimes had struggles in big games this year. He's a guy who'll be back, but uh, that was a big factor in the game. And, and frankly, I'm surprised that they were even in the game with Josiah Johnson scoring just nine points. And then the guy, everybody who's going to know for Elmhurst, who's like Elmhurst's uh, equivalent of Jack Davidson has got to be Jake Rohde. This is a guy who, you know, uh, went over the 2000 career point mark for Elmhurst uh, in this uh, in the conference tournament. Um, you know, then they won the conference tournament. Elmhurst was uh, was going to get into the NCAA tournament regardless, um, but they won the CCIW tournament. They secured their bid. They hosted a first weekend at home. Um, and for Elmhurst, you know, first trip to the final four for them uh, it had been five ever since they had been in the elite eight, but not so long ago that we weren't around uh, at D three hoops.com. Uh, we remember when uh, Ryan Newpel led those guys into a deep tournament run, which I kind of have to think is like 2001 or something like that. You know, that's a guy, mm -hmm. the, um, Chris, this is the thing. Like we've been doing this for so long. It's like, 
you know, Ryan Duple's got a kid who's a, an amazing high school basketball player down in Florida. I don't know that that kid's going to come to Division Three, but I am waiting. I am waiting for <laughs> one of these kids of our All Americans to uh, to come to the Division Three level and uh, and be an All American uh, him or herself because that'll be pretty awesome when that happens. Absolutely, Elmhurst getting really balanced scoring in their win over Mary Harden Baylor. You mentioned their guard Jake Rohde. Um, you know, obviously Ocean Johnson, 17 points. Bryce Drews had 11 points. And then Dominic Jinko. Uh, is it Jinko? How am I, how am I doing on that? I'm going to go with that, man. I'm not going to know that until Thursday. Okay. So, well, uh, number 10, Dominic Jenko had 18 points. So you got four guys in double figures. Elmhurst really starting to put together uh, just gritty performances when you look at their scores. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, they come so they come out of the CCIW. You know that they're tested. Right. Um, that's a that's a conference that, uh, you know, they went 11 and five in. I mean, that's uh, you know, that that's how tough that conference is. They end up winning the conference tournament as a three seed. And, you know, they lost nearly a, a third of their conference games. That's how good the uh, that CCIW is. So, you know, that if you're going to make the tournament out of that league or if you make the tournament out of the WIAC, you know, you're going to have gotten tested in you know in elmer's case 16 times in conference games and uh, that's certainly a, b- a big factor in almost anybody making a, a deep run out of that conference absolutely now let's turn our attention to the other side of the bracket and uh, we have chalk on the other side of the bracket uh number one in the country randolph macon facing number two in the country marietta both were the top seed in their respective regions uh randolph macon advanced you know really un challenged they had yeah. all but one of their games uh were in double figures you know marietta had a more challenging path but they were able to kind of grade it out they advanced through some tight spots and i'm interested to hear just your 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 kind of your thought on each team before we talk a little bit more in depth about their players yeah they're very interesting about uh marietta this season and then this tournament uh you know been tested and kind of in surprising ways like we did not expect uh, them to have to pull away from Madai or Rochester taking them to overtime or Oswego going toe-to-toe with them. And then, you know, you come right. into that game on Saturday night between them and Christopher Newport. And Christopher Newport, I mean, they're the number four team in our poll. Uh, they're the only team that's beaten Randolph-Macon this season. Um, really felt like there was a real opportunity for, uh, you know, for Marietta to go down in that game. And they come out uh, of the gate and they're down 15 in the first half. And you kind of wonder just where things are going to go. But, I mean, Marietta just has so many offensive weapons. And, you know, if I'm going to name some names and then we'll talk more about names, right? But, you know, if Lucas Isley, obviously, or or Mason Leidecker, Jason Ellis uh, get on fire from beyond the arc or Tim Krieger inside or Sammy Willoughby is a great guy off the bench for them. um, You know, if uh, if those guys start to heat it up, it is really difficult to stop those guys and, and having a, a big home crowd like you do in Ben Johnson arena uh, down in Marietta, Ohio behind you uh, certainly does not hurt in that instance. Well, they, Marietta proved that Lucas Isley, you know, one guy can go crazy and carry yeah. them to a win. He had 38 points. Uh, he made seven, three pointers in their win over Christopher Newport. And you mentioned that Christopher Newport had beaten Randolph Macon you know, Marietta and Randolph-Macon have played. So let's talk about Randolph-Macon a little bit and then talk about some of the matchups we might see in this game. Yeah, so Randolph-Macon, man, you know, they're they're 31-1. and one. Uh, This is uh, one program, 
uh, in Division Three men's basketball that uh, has really missed the most the last couple of years. You go to Crenshaw Gymnasium down in Ashland, and they've got two banners from the last year that basically list their record, and they're standing in our final poll. They're number one in our poll uh, last year. You know, they are, you know, because there was no NCAA tournament, right? Or the right. NCAA tournament back in 2020 didn't get a chance to finish. Um, that is what Randolph Macon had to celebrate. Uh, you know, these guys at one point had won, I think it's like 62 out of 63 games or something like that. Uh, you know, Josh Merkel had uh, some good success as the head coach at Salisbury down in Maryland. That was his alma mater. You know, kind of surprising that he went to Randolph Macon when he did, which is now, you know, several years ago. This is not new or, or surprising anymore, but he takes on this program that's had some success, you know, that's been to the final four before that's got a rich tradition in a pretty tradition laden conference, the old dominion athletic conference, and just kind of elevated the level from there. Um, you know, buzz Anthony, uh, Oh man, man, <laughs> this guy, yeah. this guy is, this guy is amazing. Uh, and is, is and has only gotten better over the course of the, the past couple of years. Miles Mallory, uh, is like right next to him as a, uh, you know, as, as a, as a one, two punch, um, it was, there was a time a couple years ago, I think where, you know, it's going to be, is miles Mallory going to be, when is miles Mallory going to surpass buzz Anthony? Uh, because it seemed like he had this really high trajectory. Um, buzz Anthony, uh, having, having none of that. He has, uh, definitely cemented himself as, uh, <laughs> absolutely the best guy on Randolph Macon and, you know, seeing there, you see what things look like on Friday night and then comes Saturday afternoon when we put out our all-american team uh that is a guy who's on that short list for d3hoops.com player of the year absolutely and and we're talking about two really you know uh elite programs i mean number one number two in the country this is this is like gonzaga arizona meeting in you know meeting in the final four as our brackets were just announced for division one so you talk about like the kind of the matchups and these two teams, Marietta, Randolph Macon, they met early in November. Uh, Randolph Macon won 82 74. We've talked about him, but Buzz Anthony had a double double 15 points, uh, 13 assists in that game. Miles Mallory, the forward for Randolph Macon, had 16 points and nine rebounds for Marietta. Lucas Esley had 36 points. Jason Ellis had 15 points. And, and here's, here's the crazy stat to me from that game. Uh, Pat, when when we look at the first half, Marietta had a 24-23 lead. This is way back in November. Yeah, Randolph Macon outscored Marietta 59-50 in the second half. So either the shooting got a lot better or the defense got a lot worse. Either way, either way, you know, we saw a huge uptick in offensive production. And I think looking, you know, looking ahead, we're going to see a lot of scoring and and the guard play you know, the guard play is going to be really fun to watch, I think, in this game. Yeah, it goes back. This goes back to Buzz Anthony for a second. He had 15 points and 13 assists in that game. It's crazy. Uh, making shots 17 to 24 in the second half of that game. And and Isley had a great game uh, in that game, just like he had a great game in the round of eight against uh, Christopher Newport. Uh, Isley's a guy who just can get a shot off so quickly. Um and the, there were a couple of times on Saturday, you know, just watching. And sometimes, again, it's hard when watching on video. Sometimes video comes in at like eight frames per second, right? When you're mm -hmm. watching streaming video. And sometimes you get 23 frames a second. I don't know. There was a time where, you know, it just seemed like Isley had the ball in his hands for basically zero time before 
putting a shot up, putting a shot in. Um, you know, that is uh, when I was talking about guys who get hot, that is one of them. You saw he's seven of 10 in that game. And what was it? Seven of nine uh, or seven of 11 against Christopher Newport. And then we saw him down at our uh, tournament in Las Vegas back in December. So we saw Marietta play uh, University of Chicago. We saw them play Transylvania. And again, just to see all of the uh, weapons that they had on hand in those games. But, you know, in those two games combined, Isley goes 0 for 9 from beyond the arc. And and yet, of course, Marietta still wins, you know, going away in both of those games. So that's just a testament to how many other players they have. And, you know, we're talking a lot about Isley because he puts the ball in the hole and he's done a bunch of it here in March. And it's Jason Ellis, who is the Ohio Athletic Conference Player of the Year. Uh, so that is the guy who, uh, you know, uh, at least ostensibly should get the most accolades. And he is the leading scorer and he's the leading assist man on that team. Leads the team in steals 94% from the foul line. That's a guy who does basically everything you want him to do also. Yeah, and, and you take these two teams with uh, Isley and obviously Jason Ellis, uh, a, a combo for Marietta, Buzz Anthony, Miles Mallory, inside-out combination for Randolph-Macon. Randolph-Macon, interestingly enough, number one in the country at the Division three level in assist-to-turnover ratio. You want to know who number two is, Pat? Um, are you going to say Marietta? Marietta. So, you know, two of the best offenses in the country in terms of taking care of the ball and creating it uh, should be should be really fun. And, and and I know I know you're looking forward to that. So as you as you think about kind of what to expect when you look at these two matchups, what are some of the thoughts that you have looking at both sides of the bracket? Well, I mean, I'm going to start I'm going to stay on the Randolph making Marietta side for a moment. Yeah. Uh, you know, you mentioned that these guys played each other in November. If you go back and, you know, watch that game, the thing that you're going to want to keep in mind is that, you know, Randolph-Macon is way more deep now. They go much deeper into the rotation now than they did in November. Um, you know, uh, Josh Merkel just has a big expectation for his guys playing defense. And sometimes it takes new guys a little bit of time before they understand that, they buy in, they earn those minutes and can, you know, get and break their way into that rotation. So, you know, if you look back, I mean, Randolph Macon basically just played a couple of guys in the post and now they're going to be able to go much deeper. So that's, that's one thing that's, that's one thing that's definitely changed. Um, you know, can you defend Isley better than they did, um, you know, back in November? Presumably there's a good chance that you might be able to, uh, force him somewhat somewhere be below 11 of 15, seven of 10, <laughs> somewhere less than 36 points. Um, maybe not. I don't know. I mean, you know, that guy, that, that guy is on fire right now. Um, I think those are the, these are the key things, right? It's a, uh, you right. know, if you, if you stop Marietta from the outside, then, you know, they can dump it down low to Tim Krieger. That guy's, that guy's got offensive skills too. Um, you know, Sammy Willoughby, I mentioned him off the bench. That's a guy who's got some ups. He's a, a guy who can uh, spark them off the bench. Uh, averages eight points a game, averages 7.9 rebounds, really crashes the offensive glass, uh, actually has more offensive rebounds than defensive rebounds. So, I mean, those are the, I think those are the key things to think about on that side. And then, you know, obviously defending Buzz Anthony is a, is a big deal. This is not the guy who is, you know, the be all end all scorer for them. He averages 17.8 a game, right? Um, but, you know, can you, can you get the ball out of his hands and into the hands of Miles Mallory? I don't know that that does much better for you uh, as an opponent. Uh, it's a guy, you know, averaging 15 a game. Josh Talbert, we haven't mentioned his name yet so far, but that's another double-digit scorer for them. 
they're a, a team that can go pretty deep. And I don't know how much difference this makes, but a little more rested. You mentioned that Randolph Macon's head um, has not been challenged as much in this tournament, right? They they won their opening right. round game by 42 points. They beat Babson kind of going away. Um, they handled Mass Dartmouth pretty well, and Mass Dartmouth had had a couple of big comebacks, and Marcus Azor is one of the is probably going to be a D3Hoops.com All-American. He'll probably be our Region 2 Player of the Year. Uh, I don't know when you're, uh, I don't know when this podcast drops. Maybe you'll, people will learn that on this podcast before they see it on our website. Um, <laughs> and then they handled WPI. I mean, WPI just could not really deal with, uh, you know, how quickly and effortlessly and effectively Randolph Macon switched between zone and man and was not really prepared to keep adjusting. Obviously, Marietta's going to have seen that. Uh, and that sort of thing. I'm going to keep going here for just a half a second. Absolutely. Um, because I was talking with Kyle Brummett, who's the Wabash head coach about this, you know, because they also were at this same tournament uh, right. with the uh, Randolph Macon and Marietta and a, a team called Emory who ended up not being so bad this year either. Um, and, you know, he said, you know, even though it's been since November, if you go, you go back and use that video to scout, his big take was, you know, at least, you know, what these guys look like and what what you see how what you see on film translates to what you see on the floor right because you can see you right. watch film on somebody but you know you don't know how big is this guy in reality like they saw the Williams team and Williams is like big and long and Williams the good Williams Eves teams are always big and long um but you get they got on the floor with them and it's like okay you know we're a little shorter than these guys but we know how to match up with them we know how to handle them you don't have that mystery with facing Randolph Macon or Marietta uh, if you're Wabash and they don't have it in facing each other. At least they know, you know what Buzz Anthony looks like. Randolph Macon knows what Lucas Isley looks like, you know, and that sort of thing. And that's a, that's a big advantage at this time of year, I'd have to think. Because in, in D3, you don't get, you know, you don't get teams traveling all over the place right. a whole lot. You don't get games uh, on, on TV that you can watch on your 70-inch 4K screen. <laughs> um you know, you really have to rely on a little bit more of some of those things to kind of make some of those comparisons. Yeah. And on, on the other side of the bracket, Wabash shoots it really well. I mean, they're number two in the country in overall field goal percentage and they're number three in the country in three point field goal percentage. You know, when you look at the numbers, you kind of feel like Wabash has the advantage, but knowing both teams, what do you feel about Elmhurst? Yeah, man, I feel like, First off, um, you know, so Wabash hasn't played Elmhurst. Uh, then these teams haven't played each other super recently, but obviously right. there's a ton of common opponents, right? I mean, you if you're scouting like uh, Wabash would have been for Illinois Wesleyan and probably putting together a Wheaton scout this past weekend as well for that uh, for that sectional weekend, um, you know, you are falling over uh, Elmhurst video all the time, right? Right, uh, and they and they know uh, they the what am i trying to say you know they've seen jake Rody play in person from what uh, coach brummett was telling me uh, after the game on saturday night so there's a little bit of that mystery that's that's not there as well that's super helpful um you know you so many offensive weapons for wabash um you've talked about uh, the 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 aggregate number in terms of of three point shooting um right. but you know you expect Jack Davidson to shoot well, right? He um, is going to be a little bit shy of 50% from beyond the arc coming in. Um, when he gives it off to, you know, to Tyler Watson or to Amani Jones, I mean, they don't really 
drop off a whole lot. Those are guys that also shoot about 40% from, from beyond the arc. Kellen Schreiber's just like a beast inside. I mean, he's, uh, you know, listed at six, five, that seems about right. Um, he had a, just an amazing rebound with about a buck 16 left on Saturday where he just went up in traffic and came down with the board, uh, with one arm. And I think it might've been like a five point game at that time. And I wrote that down in my notebook as like, this is, this is, it wasn't quite the point at which the game was sewn up, but it was a huge, you know, nail in that coffin. Right. I think later right. when uh, Busilla hits a three, that kind of wraps it up. But you know, that was a, that was a board that Illinois was and really needed. And they had all the size around him and just Shriver is just, you know, a beast. Uh, I've used the word twice, but I'm quoting somebody else who said it this weekend, <laughs> uh, went up and got that board. So, you know, I, I think that's um, the thing that I would just, caution fans is not to just get uh, super focused on Jack Davidson because there's a bunch of guys there who all shoot and all shoot well and you know even if someone tries to double or triple Davidson or try to you know sell all out to deny him the ball whatever he's going to find somebody else who's going to bury an open shot also and and we're talking about these matchups and these players on both sides of the bracket kind of what to expect but at- a lot of the key players we're talking about, you know, Randolph Macon's Buzz Anthony, uh, Jack Davidson, we mentioned from Wabash, Lucas Isley from Marietta, Jake uh, Rohde from Elmhurst, all guards, all in the backcourt, and they're all playing exceptional basketball in March. I think it's a, a testament to, you know, if you want to go deep in March, regardless of the level, guard play is so important. I think that's the thing, right? You said regardless of the level, especially because, you know, we've heard that about the uh, the, the big dance for years and years and years, right? right, it's, right. it's guard play. It's senior guard play. You know, up at that level, you know, guys leave teams before they become seniors, right? That's not something that happens generally at the Division three level. So you've got senior guards. You've got, in this case, this year, you know, guys who are 23, maybe right. even 24, maybe even 24 years old because of extra eligibility because of the COVID year uh, coming back. And being around too. I mean, it has been, we've seen the depth of guard play in division three for many years. You know, when we're trying to put together an all American team, it's like, I really want to have a team of five that is front court, back court balance. I'm not going to put out a team that has five guards on it, but my <laughs> goodness, man, there are so many good guards. So in many. Division three it is really oh difficult to do that. So we, we, uh, you know, we'll go four guards, uh, one big man on our All-American teams uh, more often than not lately. Um, and it's not just guard play, but of course, Division Three really stacked this year in terms of just individual talent because so many guys coming back for fifth years. Um, you know, Jake Rohde's a guy who, you know, his eligibility otherwise would have been done, right? Um, right. You know, he's a, uh, he's a, a senior, a super senior, basically. I don't, you know, how many actual years old he is, I don't have uh, in front of me, but you know, it's a guy who was playing in 2016, uh, 17, you know, he's, he's had uh, three, uh, three full, four full seasons. Plus, uh, you know, did not play during the pandemic year, um, you know, had an injury his freshman year, 2016, 17. So he's already got an extra year of eligibility from that. This is a guy who's basically uh sixth year in college. There's just so much experience. And, you know, like I said earlier, and frankly, in our, uh, in our uh, podcast back in the preseason as well, you know, just so happy to see these kids get the opportunity to play, get the opportunity to compete for a championship because, you know, they are all 
right? Going to go pro in something other than sports, basically. Right. Um, you know, I'll, and not to take away from Davidson or uh, Rody or, you know, any of the guys who are going to probably have pretty fun opportunities to play pro ball in Europe after graduation. But, you know, these are not guys who are going to the NBA because they're just not uh, D3 guys in the NBA anymore. Right, right. And, you know, you you mentioned it, the incredible amount of talent, the incredible amount of depth that is at the NCAA Division three level, but also like just the joy that all of these teams got to experience postseason play. And for the first time in three years, we're going to have a national champion. Uh, yeah. It's been a long time coming. So I'm Pat on each side of the bracket. Do you have a feel for who might advance? Well, I don't love to do predictions, and I probably could have told you that before we did this podcast, okay. just because, but I'm not calling any of these games. So, you know, I'll probably, you know, I'm, I don't want to have what, you know, you don't want to be as a broadcaster, someone who's perceived as having a personal bias or a vested interest in any particular outcome. Right. Right. Um, like that right hand bracket matchup between Marietta and Randolph Macon. You know, obviously that's a that's the number one and number two team in our poll. I would uh, obviously like to see that played on Saturday instead of on Friday. Right. Um, but you know, I think right now on that side of the bracket, I go with our poll. Uh, and I've been voting Randolph Macon. You can tell because everybody else has been voting Randolph Macon. They've got twenty five <laughs> number one votes. Um, that's going to be a, a really epic battle. But I, I think I like Randolph Macon on that side. And you know, man, Wabash. One thing we haven't talked about really. Is I mean we briefly mentioned that it's just three hours away from Crawfordsville to uh, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Those guys traveled hundreds of fans down to Atlanta, uh, the, that infamous 587 miles. Uh, Incredible. For, for the first weekend of games against Emory, and then you know they made the Shirk Center on Friday night in the round of 16 game against Williams sound like their home gym, and they had, I think. I think officially we had 600 people in attendance and I would say 550 of them must have been wearing red from Wabash. Um, and then it was pretty balanced the next night in terms of noise. Uh, although Illinois Wesleyan had more fans there. These are guys who are going to get on a bus because man, Wabash hasn't been in the final four since Pete Metzelar has played college basketball. So, you know, if you uh, are uh, among the people who are surprised as a listener to know that Pete Metzler has played college basketball. He did. He played for Wabash before he was famous as a tight end for the Buffalo Bills. He was also a great tight end for Wabash, but he led Wabash to the 1982 Division Three Basketball National Championship against uh, Potsdam. And then, you know, this is the first trip for Wabash since then. It's a small community. It's Indiana, and they love their basketball. Uh, of course. I'm looking forward to seeing how many people make that trip up to Fort Wayne and, uh, you know, and, and come to the Allen County War Memorial Coliseum and make that a, a great atmosphere. Because I think that's a that's a you know, that's a, a little bit of an X factor. I think that will help uh, Wabash as well. So I guess if I see a Wabash Randolph Macon uh, championship game on Saturday, then I will uh, I'll feel pretty happy about what I said just now. Well, very good. Pat, the NCAA Division Three National Championship is next Saturday, March 19th. Uh, the Final Four is set. How can you sum up this year in NCAA Division Three men's basketball, being a full season, getting to the Final Four, eventually going to have a national championship game? How can you sum that up? Like, what's it meant? Has it been more special because of what we have gone through 
over the past few years? I think so. Um, I would uh, point people to, if they can find it on our website or on uh, in a tweet that we put out on Saturday or on YouTube, uh, I pulled out a little thing that uh, Williams coach Kevin App said in their post-game news conference from the round of 16 after they lost to Wabash um, about, you know, just it's a, a little three and a half minute clip about everything that that program had been through just to get back to this stage. And it's not just, you know, the end of the 2020 season and it's not, uh, you know, losing the 2020-21 year uh, altogether for Williams. Um, you know, they also, Williams had, uh, you know, a, a span over holiday break where they tried to, they had two separate, uh, two separate holiday tournaments canceled on them because of uh, COVID. And then they got shut down for like two and a half weeks in January because of COVID as well. It, you know, just to have kept the team together to that point. And uh, Kevin App was uh, very happy about having gotten them their normal regular season of 24 games, even if they had to you know, go to the conference championship game and go to the round of 16 in the NCAA tournament to get to 24. At the very least, they had all those opportunities for the kids. And it's the, you know, it's those opportunities that were lost, but, you know, being regained and being celebrated, that's perspective that I think is very important for people to remember, even as we are celebrating the fact that we've got this great final four. And by the way, a great final four in women's basketball as well, coming up in Pittsburgh this weekend on Thursday and Saturday. Um, you know, those are the things that I, I just kind of hope people remember is that, you know, there are real people who have been through real journeys on this guys who have given up extra years, guys who have given up a year of their, you know, their regular career, their regular job, put their jobs on hold. Um, I could go on for another 10 minutes about this, but I will try to keep it short and just basically say those are the things that I am also thinking about right now. And that's kind of the background to all of these things that we're celebrating here this week. I think it's tremendous that we can celebrate uh, the NCAA Division Three student athletes, the basketball players, the coaches who, you know, let, let's be let's be quite honest, Pat, they're not in the limelight, you know, they're playing because they love the game. They're coaching because they love the game and what it provides for their student athletes. And that's part of the reason we have the podcast. And so with that said, I want to thank you, Pat, for joining the small college basketball podcast today. I want to thank you for all of your NCAA division three uh, men's basketball insight. Very much appreciated by myself and John McCarthy. Uh, really hope you enjoy the remainder of uh, the men's basketball championship. And I will just put a pitch in there for people who, you know, are sitting on their couches Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday for some of the greatest uh, days in the division one basketball season, you know, come on, pop over and check out what's going on in division three as well that weekend. Absolutely. Pat Coleman, managing editor of D three hoops.com. Thank you so much for your time on the small college basketball podcast. Good luck with the remainder of your season and your duties as you prepare your All-American lists. When can our listeners uh, go to d3hoops.com and uh, check those out? How else can we support you, Pat? Yeah, you can find out uh, the d3hoops.com All-America team on our site on Saturday evening. Uh, we will uh, announce them shortly before tip-off of the championship game. We generally do that in like a live reveal online somehow usually it's been in our broadcast and we may do an audio broadcast of this game uh, that comes up on saturday uh and you can support us by going to d3hoops.com uh not blocking ads when you come to our website you can follow us on twitter at at d3hoops as well 
uh, you know, that's a good source for news and tidbits and the pulse of what's going on in Division Three basketball. Pat Coleman, thank you for joining the Small College Basketball Podcast. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's Small College Basketball Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to like and subscribe for weekly episodes and interviews devoted to the incredible programs, players, coaches, and history of small college basketball. Please leave a review if you enjoyed listening to this episode and use the links attached to this episode to share the Small College Basketball Podcast. The Small College Basketball Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere you listen to your favorite podcast episodes. You can follow the Small College Basketball Podcast on Twitter and Facebook. Please visit our website, www.smallcollegebasketball.com.